2: Back in August, I first spoke with a man named Yella Petrusse. Yella lives in the Netherlands. He's 35 years old, and he's got a job in a very Dutch industry. I work for a company that buys and sells cheese, cheese, and a lot more cheese. Yella's company distributes cheese to buyers international and domestic. The Netherlands is actually the second largest exporter of cheese in the world. It's after Germany. Think Gouda and Edem. There's also Old Amsterdam. I asked Yella, how many cheeses are there in the Netherlands? Well,
3: how many stars are in the universe now? There's
2: so many types of cheese. And no, it is not 200 billion trillion kinds of cheese, but there are a lot. Last year, the country made more than 2 billion pounds of cheese. More than half of it Gouda, which, Yella says, is not just a cheese, but an actual very old and very famous city, not far from where Yella works. Of course, we say Gouda, but in the Netherlands, I've been working on my pronunciation, here goes nothing, the cheese and the town are called Gouda. The
3: cheese business in Gouda,
2: it's, it's
3: big, and, and everyone's married to everyone. Everyone has each other's phone number. Everyone knows each other, and they all keep the same traditions alive.
2: Yella explains that these family connections sometimes date back hundreds of years. And so the Dutch cheese business is steeped in tradition. Now, we are speaking together over Zoom, and he says he wants to show me a photo that will make this very clear.
3: Okay, share a screen. Yeah, I
2: was okay. trying to see it. Oh, my goodness. So this yeah. is, um, it looks like some members of either royalty or religious leaders. What is this picture?
3: No, this is the guild. The Cheese Guild.
2: This is the Cheese Guild. The photo shows a small group of people in the middle of what looks like a ceremony. Some of the people are in brightly colored robes, and there's one woman holding a bouquet of flowers.
3: So we're looking at someone who gets initiated into the Cheese Guild, and they carry around a staff with a cheese knife and a cheese drill.
2: The cheese knife and the cheese drill are crisscrossed, like how you might display two swords before a battle. I read later that the red of the robe represents the red cheese rind and the blue represents the blue veins of a deliciously moldy cheese.
3: They love it. They they love cheese. And it's it's a big honor to be initiated into the
2: the Cheese Guild. Are you in the Cheese Guild? No, I'm not. No. Yella has not been invited into the Cheese Guild. He's kind of a newcomer to all of this. And that's made it challenging to deal with a problem he was hired to fix. So Yella he is a supply chain expert. He's responsible for thinking about how to move his company's cheese around. One of his most valuable assets is the cheese rack, metal shelving with wood planks. So it's it's very specifically made for transporting entire wheels of cheese. Oh, I see. So like you can't I can't go into IKEA and buy one of these. No. No. What was I thinking? Yella says that these are custom-built. Each one costs nearly $500. And Yella, he has a problem with his cheese racks. Once the cheese is sold, the racks are supposed to be returned to him. But out of the 2,000 or so racks his company owns, he can only account for 26 of them. The people they sell cheese to are not returning the racks. People get them and they're like, great, I can use this to store my cheese.
3: But it's it's our wrecks. <laughs> Put it on your own, <laughs>
2: In this friendly industry where everyone is married to everyone else, Yella cannot get people to do this one thing, send back his cheese racks. So he emailed us for our help.
3: Because I was listening to the Planet Money podcast a lot. And uh, I was wondering, like, maybe they can help me with this economic issue of keep having. And it's such a strange question. I was like, nah, they're not going to that, nah, but it got stranger and stranger.
2: Look, when someone calls up Planet Money with a strange and delicious problem, oh, we will show up. So I packed up my gear, told my family I loved them, and got on a plane to Gowda. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Amanda Aronchik. When you think of a company, you might think of a big, cold, impersonal corporation that makes decisions solely to maximize profits, moving fast and breaking things. But by some measures, the majority of companies in the world are actually family businesses with shared histories, lots of traditions, and, well, some of the same complexities of families. Today on the show, we try to help a Dutchman with a problem, one rooted in centuries of tradition and cheese.
0: Apply today at babson.edu slash msleader. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln?
2: Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I, I just started doing research. Uh, but the truth is, I, no, I just thought of it.
0: We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. A couple months after
2: my first conversation with Yella, I wake up in the Netherlands. I grab a cab and we drive past the famous Dutch canals, quaint little brick houses, old cobblestone streets, only to arrive at an industrial park. I'm here to meet Yella at one of his company's warehouses. We walk in and it's this enormous open space. There are a few workers unloading and loading boxes with a forklift. This is actually our smallest warehouse. How many warehouses does the company have? Six. Okay, and this is the mini one, and this one's huge.
3: No, the, the one filled with cheese is like six halls of them filled with cheese to the ceiling.
2: Six halls filled with cheese from floor to ceiling. That would be like cheese nirvana. But Yella, as we mentioned before, he is a supply chain manager, so his domain is logistics and the transportation of cheese. So unfortunately, in this warehouse, there is no cheese, just the empty vessels for moving it around. Several
3: types of crates. We've got the pallets, plastic pallets, wooden pallets, cheese
2: boxes, cheese crates. This is actually Yella's happy place. He's got an almost fatherly energy as he talks about his beloved supply chain containers. Before long, though, he takes me over to see the problem child, the reason he summoned us to the Netherlands in the first place. And these are the actual the boxes I've been talking about. So you can see the wooden planks right on them. We walk up to a short row of what Yella calls cheese boxes. That's the word he uses for the racks boxes. These stand six or seven feet tall. And Yella explains that the wooden shelving is perfect for cheese, this product that needs to be able to breathe. He's not transporting shoes or hairbrushes. Cheese is alive. And these racks are custom made to nurture it. Now, in the supply chain world, there is a name for products like the cheese racks. They are returnable transport items. Think beer kegs or pallets. But for Yella, something has broken down. His company is sending the racks off into the world, bearing cheese, and then people are not returning them. His company has tried all the obvious solutions, like, for example, requiring a deposit or just asking people to send them back. He said, so far, nothing has worked. But later, Yella says something surprising. I actually did just spot one of my missing cheese racks out in the wild. Do you want to see it? And I was like, of course, this is why I'm in the Netherlands, to track down these wayward cheese racks. So we go outside into that industrial park. All around us are other cheese companies and warehouses. And as we walk around, there's like cheese trucks everywhere delivering cheese.
3: Yeah. There's one. Big truck swooshes by. You see, every, everything
2: here is cheese. <laughs>
3: we're going to go follow that road.
2: Yellow takes me to a spot around the corner from his office in front of another company's loading dock. There, we see something a little tragic. So we're just walking
3: around. And when we turn to the left, we see cheese boxes.
2: Oh, no. And
3: some of them are mistreated. Some of them are missing boards. Some of them are ours.
2: And it's not raining now, but it's going to rain. Here lie some of Yella's expensive custom cheese racks, sitting outside tossed away like yesterday's garbage. And they just they just stand there looking at us and
3: I see that that makes me wonder how did they get here? Why are they here? And does this company even do business with us or maybe they've done business once and they just kept the box like, "Oh, thank you for delivering in this handy box." And now they don't have a place to put it. And then just evolved into putting them outside.
2: People leave them outside, clearly, but Yella's also heard stories about the cheese racks being welded together and used as shelving, or companies absorbing them into their fleet, delivering their own cheese on Yella's racks. What is keeping you from just going over there and grabbing it and, like, we'll run back and we'll just put it in your warehouse? Well, there's a pellet pooler chap, This is the first thing that comes to Yella's mind when I suggest grabbing the rack. The pallet pooler Chep. Okay, so Chep is a company that rents these pallets that you've probably seen. They're blue. And by pooling, he just means that the company deals with like a lot of pallets at once. And there are hundreds of millions of these pallets traveling around the world. They're a super common returnable transport item. Chep loans them out to companies that transport goods. Usually they're returned, but there is a team that sometimes has to hunt down pallets that might have gotten away.
3: They go out and they
2: get their CHEP pallets back, and they have some terrifying stories. <laughs> Yella's saying CHEP's recovery team sometimes has to confront people to try and reclaim the pallets. And he's heard that that can get tense. It can even lead to legal battles. Yella, well, he is just one guy, he doesn't have a team. If he goes to a warehouse to negotiate for one of his racks back, he's worried he could end up facing down some angry owner. Could be scary. Just then, as we're standing there by the loading dock, looking at Yellow's cheese racks, this guy comes out of one of the offices and he walks right towards us. I think we're, we're, we're
3: in the guys now. Have we been I, spotted? Yeah. Let's walk onto the warehouse okay. where we do the actual ripening. Okay.
2: The man and yellow just have this short conversation in Dutch. Seems more or less fine. See, he was like, you're taking pictures and stuff. No, 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 we're just talking. Bye. Is that what he was worried about?
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. It was, was that a friendly interaction? I couldn't tell. He
3: was just curious. Do they think we were cheese spies? <laughs> no. I like your conspiracy yeah. <laughs> vibe.
2: So then we just walked back to his office. Villa didn't ask for the cheese rack back. He certainly didn't take the cheese rack back. He just left it languishing there by the side of the loading dock. The thing that's really shocking is, like, that runaway cheese box is so close to where you guys uh, have your offices. Like, clearly they don't think it's a problem.
3: Yeah, well, that's kind of harsh. Because I could just walk up there and say, oh, man, you're being a jerk. My office is right there and the cheese box is right there. Come on. Be cool, give me back my cheese box. that's that's not the actual problem.
2: and hearing all of this, Yella's problem finally clicked for me. From the beginning, he'd been talking about all the family ties in the cheese world, how everyone's married to everyone else, everyone knows each other. And this big extended cheese family seems to think that the cheese racks are to be shared among them. So the biggest reason that Yella can't just go grab his rack and run, is because that would be rude. That would break tradition. It was so simple, but being polite, following the social norms, this is profoundly important to Yella's business. In fact, this is why we haven't even mentioned the name of the company where Yella works. He doesn't want to ruin relationships. The problem is complex. Right? Right.
3: That's why I asked you guys, like, okay, how, how am I going to solve
2: this? Aside from writing to Planet Money, Yella does have an idea in development, a new kind of tracker that he can put on the racks. But that is just going to let him find the cheese racks. He's still going to have the same problem of actually getting them back. And how do you do that without a big confrontation? Um, all right, well, we'll talk to you tomorrow. You'll best be able to be in trouble. Yep. What Yella did not know was that I had spent weeks researching on his behalf before I even left for the Netherlands. I was consulting experts, gathering solutions, all of these things that I could present to him, because I was determined to solve his cheese rack problem. I started all of this research close to home in Manhattan. Are you guys NYC Kegs? Yes. Hey! Yes, yes. How are you, Amanda? I'm Amanda. This is Aniket Shaw, owner of NYC Kegs. If you need a bunch of beer kegs for your party, Aniket's your guy. If you're interested in returnable transport items, like kegs, Aniket is also your guy. On this day in November, he was doing a delivery to a party at a grad school. How many kegs are you delivering? So we're delivering seven kegs. Okay, of beer. Of beer. Okay. And The magic of beer kegs is that they get returned and reused. That is the thing with most returnable transport items. They reduce waste. Returnable transport items make environmental sense. And they should make economic sense, too. In the case of Aniket's kegs, the system works. People do give them back. His problem child is this big plastic tub made by the company Yeti. These tubs are expensive, they're big enough to practically stand in, and they're great for holding a lot of ice and, in this case, a keg of beer. Customers love these tubs so much that sometimes they might be tempted to keep them. They'll say, oh, this looks nice. It's a Yeti tub. I
3: can use it in my outdoor patio. And that's something that I'm just going to take home.
2: Because I got to say, like, if I, you know, was going to throw a party... Like those would be pretty fun.
3: Yeah, I mean, you can use these tubs for like softshell crabs, or you know, you can go fishing oh, and yeah. put fish, or like ice cans of beer. You can also like put a lid
2: on it. A lid? Wow, these things can do anything. So along with the seven kegs, Aniket is dropping off some of those coveted Yeti tubs to the grad school party. Okay, so we're rolling in two kegs and three tubs. Here we go. Then, after we finish the drop-off, I ask him, what is your secret? How do you get those tubs back? Aniket says, look, I don't drop these Yeti tubs with just anyone. If it's a frat party or something, I drop those tubs there, might not see them again. So he has, like, two tiers of returnable transport items. The nice ones and the not-as-nice ones. And he tells me, if your guy in the Netherlands is in a situation where no one's returning the super-nice cheese racks... Maybe he shouldn't have that super nice option at all. If
3: it's too useful, then it's going to stay. So my suggestion would be to not
2: make them as useful. Make the cheese racks less useful. Aniket suggests finding a way to make them either more niche or poor quality or both. The problem with the cheese racks is that they are too good. First suggestion, make them worse. Okay, so now on to gathering more problem-solving suggestions. Again, Yella's talked about the family aspect of the cheese industry, how that impacts things. There's actually a whole realm of business management that looks at exactly this, at family businesses. Now, while the company Yella works for is no longer technically a family business, it was bought by a large co-op a few years ago, he says that it is still run very much like one. So I reached out to Lorraine Ulaner. She's a professor of management at Etic Business School in France.
1: I think when we look at family businesses, we're we're looking at how the family uh, characteristics and behaviors and attitudes and interactions, how those interplay with the ongoing business. So tell me,
2: what are the main differences between a family business and like a business business?
1: When we say family business, we're actually really looking at the ownership structure. So basically, are the people who own the business together related to each other? Surprisingly often, the answer is yes. Most people agree, regardless of how you define it, the majority of companies are family-owned.
2: Under the umbrella of family businesses, there is a ton of variation. Could be a small dairy farm run by, like, just a couple of brothers. Or could be Walmart or Ford. Technically, those two are publicly traded family businesses. And I was fascinated to hear that family businesses make up the majority of all businesses. I kind of thought of them as this relic of the past. But no, in most companies, in order to do business, people are dealing with their sisters or their in-laws. And with all the complications that come from close relationships. Maybe your resentment about who got more love from mom and dad, maybe that gets played out in the boardroom. Lorraine says there is one thing that she sees clearly again and again in family businesses. If you want to change anything, if you want to innovate, you have to be very cautious. She understands why Yella feels like he can't just march up to someone and say, come on, be cool, give me back my cheese box. In the tight-knit cheese world, saying that could do more harm than good. So with this in mind, Lorraine has two suggestions for the cheese rack problem.
1: We do see that these long-term relationships are really critical to the family firm, and they're often partners in the innovation. Mm-hmm. If they take a participative approach and present this as a problem to their customers and say, can we solve this together? Oh, interesting. So we're together
2: in this decision, this difficult decision that needs to happen. How do you want us to do this together?
1: You know, you want to try and get buy-in from both sides. And then it has to be workable. There is a name for this. It's called participative decision-making. This kind
2: of decision-making is happening inside companies at any given time all over the economy. There are a million Yellas trying to solve a million cheese rack dilemmas. All talking it out. Sometimes this is the best way to get things done. So that is the next suggestion that I will take to Yella. Bring
1: everyone to the table. Lorraine also had one more idea. thought that I have is maybe uh, prices are going up, uh, energy prices are skyrocketing. And so I think there's a lot of pressure right now in the agricultural industry as well as other industries. Um, One approach could just be up front and say, look, you know, we really... We'd love to continue to give you these, but this really means that we may have to charge more money or, you know, we may not be able to sustain our own business. And we would really appreciate the cooperation to help get these back.
2: This is what I'm calling the never let a good crisis go to waste suggestion. It is a tough time. And maybe Yella can use this moment as an excuse to reset the whole cheese rack return system. So even though I don't have an MBA or any training doing business, I'm going to try to convince Yella to take these suggestions for fixing his cheese rack problem. That's after the break. Okay, Planet Money listeners. We asked for your favorite or least favorite parts of the U.S. tax code. And a shocking number of you.
1: My favorite part of the tax code. Had thoughts. My least favorite part of the tax code. My two favorite parts of the tax code.
2: Section 529. 415.
1: 7502. 1.162-22.
2: A bunch of tax loopholes we could not fit into our regular episode of the show. That's in our next bonus episode for Planet Money Plus listeners. If that's not you, it could be. Check out the link in our episode notes. I get on my bike because, of course, I've been in the Netherlands four days. Now I'm Dutch. And I head to meet up with him at his house. And I bring along my laptop. Okay, so um, I have prepared a PowerPoint presentation for you. Are you excited? (laughs) Yeah, very. (laughs) Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. I know that if you want to convince someone of your good ideas, you really need to sell those ideas. So, with one year of graphic design experience, a template, and some killer music, first slide.
3: <laughs> I mean, I like it. All my PowerPoint presentations are going to
2: start with this now. Okay, we're going to send a... you the sound. This <laughs> yeah. is how you, like, influence people. Mm. This is, this is I start with it. suggestion one from Anikat the keg guy. Make the cheese racks worse. Yella considers it.
3: Hmm. But then it would be like it would be treated like a single use transport item. So that would be a good idea for me, not for the planet. I mean you're not
2: a paying client. <laughs> so you know, you're not getting like my best work. Okay, rejected. Fine. Next slide. A suggestion from Professor Lorraine Ulaner. She's an expert in family businesses. Okay. Okay, so she says family businesses tend I to... I explained be- to him suggestion number two. Bring everyone to the table. Use participative decision-making to solve the problem together. Also a good suggestion. I
3: think it could maybe solve more problems. But again, Yella was unsure. Or maybe make it more difficult. Like, oh yeah, I want this on it. No, I don't want that, so... Uh.
2: Yellow worries, like, What if everyone gets together and they want things that his company can't accommodate? Then they'll be forced to reject advice that they have explicitly asked for. That sounds awkward. So now we're at my last suggestion, and I'm really hoping he'll take it. Otherwise, I'm flying back to the U.S. with, yeah, sure, a suitcase full of chowda and strobe waffles, but also a failed endeavor. Last suggestion, also from Lorraine. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. Next slide. One of her suggestions for you was to go to your customers and say, this is an unusual moment, but as you know, inflation is high, there's a war, you know, it's very expensive time right now. So could you use this crisis to reset some of your business practices?
3: That's actually an excellent suggestion.
2: woo (laughs) woo! Should I play the music again? (laughs) Hey, he likes it.
3: I, I think that's an excellent suggestion, especially because the industry is so friendly, you know, to, towards each other. And they just want to produce, like, beautiful cheese and then sometimes lose sight of the importance of uh, returnable transport items.
2: I mean, who among us has not? Anyway, I left the Netherlands, returned home, gave Yella a few weeks to work on our suggestions. Then, a couple of days ago, I checked in with them again. So did you use the don't-let-a-good-crisis-go-to-waste idea? I
3: did. We sent out an email telling everyone, like, okay, we need your help, we need our boxes back, so we can send them back to you with cheese on it. And
2: (laughs) we send it to everyone. To all of his customers. Anyone who might have one of the cheese racks stashed away somewhere. But his bosses were a little worried about focusing too much on the negative.
3: They thought the... Like naming is like oh the war in Ukraine and they thought that was uh, not the way to go. Oh. So they suggested something like okay we just ask them like uh, Christmas is also a busy time for us uh, also for you so uh, please be considerate and uh, send the boxes back so we can send them back to you. So we found the middle way.
2: Basically, they decided that the crisis is Christmas. I like it actionable and festive. So do you think the email led to any being returned?
3: I think it did. I think it kept the market moving. It Hmm. kept people aware of the fact that we're still looking into this and we're still seeing how how to get them back in the best way to work with them.
2: When I first spoke with Yella, he could account for 26 of his cheese racks. Now he says that in the warehouse, there are 30. Okay, it's not the complete set of 2,000, but it's a start. Of course, we love hearing from you and sometimes even helping you with your strange problems. Our email is planetmoney at npr.org. You can also find us on social media. We are at planetmoney. One more thing you may have heard Planet Money started a record label to put out one song. That song is Inflation, sung by Ernest Jackson and Sugar Daddy and the Gumbo Roo. Stream it, download it wherever you listen to music. Our show today was produced by Emma Peasley. It was mastered by Natasha Branch, fact-checked by Sierra Juarez, and edited by Sally Helm. Jess Jang is our acting executive producer. Special thanks to Katz Laszlo and to Mary Claire Pete. I'm Amanda Aronchik. This is NPR. Thanks for listening.
0: Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How, How did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.